Just start small mm. at what you love the most. Hello and welcome to What The Health, a podcast exploring compassion and self-care in healthcare. I'm Dr. Funke Akiboya, a consultant physician interested in health and well-being. I feel that many of us in healthcare have lost the way to being well ourselves. Through sharing my observations and experiences, I hope to provide food for thought and create a conversation around this topic. In this special episode, Should I Stay or Should I Go?, I sit down with Jan Baselman, founder of Talking Outcomes, for our first interview to explore the well-being considerations and challenges of setting up private practice after working in the NHS. I hope you enjoy. I'm really excited to share the first interview with Jan Baselman, a speech and language therapist and the founder of Talking Outcomes. She's someone who's really passionate about improving children's communication and is innovative in finding ways to collaborate with schools in this. After 20 years of working up to Band 8, managing a team of speech and language therapists in the NHS, Jan moved out of London and redesigned her career, setting up her own business. Jan is an ambitious professional, having worked for the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists as a lead author on their guidance commissioning speech and language services in educational settings. She's also a mentor and leads research. At the same time, Jan has not allowed her work to take over her life and has managed to weave two years as a windsurf instructor and a year teaching English in Bangkok into her journey. At this challenging time for healthcare workers in the NHS, where roles are being redefined, it felt like a great time to have this conversation with Jan. And I'm pleased she came in front of the microphone instead of her usual editorial role in the podcast and allowed it to be shared. Jan. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for being the first interviewee on all the What The Health podcast. We know each other in a few different capacities now, as you're one of the editors. And I also know you from the Winchester Music and Operatic Society, so we've sung and performed together. But I wanted to go back over a conversation that we had previously about you working in the NHS and um, leaving to work in the private sector or setting up your own business mm -hmm. and how you came to that decision and what it was like in transition. So if you could start with what your NHS role was so my NHS role in London was as a team leader of a, a team of speech and language therapists that worked in mainstream schools. It was a reasonable level of responsibility for 20 staff, um, delivering speech and language therapy to all the schools in, in a London borough. And I actually left to come to move down south for family reasons. And it was when I was making the decision as to whether to come back into the NHS in the new area that I moved into, I had done some commissioning work in the NHS service and realised that I wasn't able to get a job at my level down here. So there was this epiphany moment where I realised that in London, there were boroughs all over the place, and if I wanted a, a manager post, there'd be one there, one there, one there, all within an hour's drive. Mm -hmm. And in Hampshire, there were two of those right. within an hour's drive, and 
they were filled by people who would be there till their retirement. Mm -hmm. And so when I networked with the local community and said, oh, I'm looking for this kind of job, they would say, oh, that's Jenny's or that's um, <laughs> Melissa's. Or, and I sort of realized, ah. Oh. So I did take a job, not with the NHS, but with the local authority at a sort of lower level which was okay but I wasn't able to make the kind of strategic changes or research or do any development and I wasn't happy. Was that because of the nature of the job? The, the, it wasn't in the job description or there, there were local challenges? Uh, both but there was just no... Uh, I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. I couldn't do... one of the keys was I couldn't do evidence-based therapy Right. And I couldn't effect change for what I viewed as ineffective practice. Right. And so I had to make the decision to leave. And there was, I couldn't rejoin the NHS because I wasn't, I couldn't see how I could do any innovation, development, evidence based practice anywhere within an hour's drive mm -hmm. when I had these kids to look after so I couldn't go any further than that. Sure. You said you were unhappy like how long did it take you how long were you trying to make decisions what, what was the kind of tipping point for you to decide well I think I need to leave? When it started affecting my mental health. Okay. When I started feeling sick going into meetings because I would not be listened to, or be cut down, or, or and just knowing that your presence is not only not really appreciated, but really not wanted. Right. Whereas when I had worked in the NHS with a fantastic innovative manager in a team leader role, my views had been heard, acted on, listened on, respected, and so forth, in London. Right. It was very different moving to the provinces. And had you worked in different places in London and found that to be the case, or it was mainly because... No, I'd only worked in one place in London, um, and before that I'd worked in Kent, and before that I'd worked in North Tyneside, in the North East, mm -hmm. and the North Tyneside... Uh, job I had a similar experience even though I was much less senior there was just a very supportive team okay you felt heard and yes yes championed constantly yes and so is that do you think that that for you is one of the big deciders of whether you're absolutely absolutely I am um, I have a clinical supervisor mm. in my uh, current independent role, who I have to pay now, whereas I didn't have to pay for them in the NHS. And um, we came to the conclusion together, or I came to the conclusion through my supervision with her, if it isn't innovative, creative, effective or interesting, don't do it, because it doesn't make you happy. It would have been nice for me to have known that before I went into a job that wouldn't be like that. I hadn't realised at that point that I needed all of those things. So you're, you had supervision in the NHS, but you, mm -hmm. because you had those things happening around you, the, you, the pressure wasn't there to work out that 
without them, you would be miserable. Yes. yes. Is there a way that you could have known or... No, I think it's just one of those life lessons that you think, why? Why am I not happy here? What is it that isn't happening or that is happening that is not uh, satisfying me? And what process was there to tease those? Because you've had oh, quite a definite list. Self-reflection? Oh, so uh, recently I learned that I've been reflecting over the last couple of years and I've had a clinical supervisor who's... Uh, who's helped really clarify good. those mm. points as what yeah. makes you happy in work. Mm. And then how did you come to the decision that... Because it's quite big to set up your own company. Yes. So I felt I didn't really have a choice if I wanted to stay in speech and language therapy. Mm. Because I didn't want to work in the local NHS service because there A weren't posts and B I couldn't do evidence-based practice and I didn't want to work in the local authority because that's where I'd just come from and there were no other organisations to work in other than private schools and so forth which I didn't fancy so I wasn't sure they would give me what I needed as well so I thought right I have to I have to create my own brilliant thing which offers a quality service which is innovative, that does projects with students, that develops questionnaires, measures outcomes and does incredible things. And I am so much happier and I now earn less than half of what I did when I was a band 8A Top of band 8A speech mm. and language service, that'll mean something to allied health professionals. <laughs> and how, how did you go out about beginning to know how to set up your own mm. business? Yeah, that was, a, that was a challenge. So I started with just uh, doing a couple of days a week alongside my other work. And I just sort of was a one-man band doing a bit, bit of work. In fact, the first client appeared to me before I was ready at the swimming pool in Winchester where I was having a coffee with someone or got chatting to someone and mentioned I was going to start independent work and she said, oh my friend is going to need someone for her child, she's just over there, come, 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 come. I found you a speech and language therapist and that was how I got my first client Brilliant. and I thought, okay, this is clearly meant to be, <laughs> yeah. this is going to happen and I, I said, well I'm not quite ready but... Um, I was ready. Always start before you're ready. Someone said that once. I can't remember. <laughs> but you followed it. it. Yeah. And what what has been the biggest challenge in making this transition? Mm. So I felt lonely right. a lot. And uh, yeah, and I there was a little picture of a, a a person on a boat in the middle of an ocean, just sort of saying, "Is there anybody there? Or help? Or?" And I did feel like that sometimes, and I stopped feeling like that when I joined, uh, when I started doing work for the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists, voluntary work, because mm -hmm. then I felt involved in the profession. I felt I had a, a gang, a team again. I really missed having a team, but I have a small team now. How, how did joining that network, how did they make it a, feel like a team? Um, 
I can't remember what I did first of all. Ah, I joined a, a committee. I applied to do some work on a committee and was successful mm. in my application. And I just started, and then I went on a couple of working groups that were within the committee and started to feel like I was doing useful work that was moving things on with other professionals who were, yeah, interested in what I had to say again. And were you in touch with your old team? I, interestingly, in, um, in London, I had a peer mentor group, three of us who were at the same level, who were all team leaders, used to meet and discuss matters of work. Mm. We now meet in London and discuss matters of life, work, love and everything in the same peer supervision group, but mm. usually in restaurants, obviously now via Zoom. Okay. Um, that's a regular thing and hopefully they'll stay with me for life. How often is that? Uh, How often do you feel it Not to often be? enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, we probably meet every three or four months. Okay. Yeah. Around childcare commitments and Nice. Um, what have you learnt about yourself in making this transition? Mm. Oh, that, oh gosh, I'm impatient. <laughs> I, I find it very difficult to do things to a mediocre standard mm. and I only really want to have people working with me who want to work at a very high standard. And how, so you've, you've now had to choose your team. Yes. And maybe that was part of your role previously, but probably not, not to the same extent. Not to the same extent, no. <laughs> and how do you know, how do you mm. select people to work for, for you? Because mm. I, I've heard that it's, it's difficult starting your own business, but mainly mm. because you've got to then trust other people to mm. take your vision and have the same passion to, yes. to carry it forward. So most people that have come and worked as associates with me for a period of time, so not employees, have come for a short period before they've then set up their own independent speech and language therapy practices. And for the most part, they've been very upfront about that, saying, look, I want to set up my own practice. Do you, can I come and work with you for a bit so I get to learn the ropes? And then they leave and there's nothing I can do about that. Mm. And that's sad, but um, that's life. And then most recently I've taken on somebody who's an ex-manager of a service who's in the sort of winter of her career, mm. who likes to do things of high quality. I've known her for years. And um, she's not going to set up her independent practice, doesn't want anything to do with all the admin or business side of things mm. she just wants to do therapy and that is looking like a really good partnership and do you have other people on your team as well I have one other therapist who specializes in stammering who does a little work for me and then I have project um, people who become involved in projects and an administrator so did do you know they're interested because they ask you to do projects or how How does that...? Do you know, uh, people get in contact all the time and I go for a coffee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we go for a coffee and we explore what we can do together. So the latest was, um, was a wonderful 
um, woman who wants to do speech and language therapy as a career. Mm -hmm. um, and she then offered to do some voluntary work in the office in return for observing some sessions. Covid happened, so mm -hmm. that didn't happen, but it still might. Uh, these things are totally organic and that's one thing that I love about being an independent practice. If someone comes into your world via Twitter or a workshop or somewhere, if you like them and you think they can add value, you can just suck them in. It's completely my choice. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's how it happens. How it happens. And you've also had to become a business person. Yeah. <laughs> less, less, less thrilled about that. <laughs> well, uh, the finances have been an ongoing challenge okay. throughout. So learning how to do the books and learning online systems to do the books has been a huge challenge. I've actually, my administrator has bookkeeping skills now, mm. and that's a first. Other administrators I've had have had other skills like design and so forth. Um, and But now the books are sorted, and now I'm trying to get to grips with the, the tech. I can't bear being my own IT help desk. <laughs> Drives me around the bend. As you can see, I've just bought a new computer, it's been there for three weeks and I haven't set it up yet. <laughs> um, because I, I don't know. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, so the tech is a constant challenge. And I think the older you are, the more challenging the tech becomes. And I just can't stop. I, I have to keep all the time learning new tech. Um, yeah, so some of the other challenges... I guess those are the main ones. Loneliness, largely overcome now. Yeah. The money and the tech. And do you worry about the financial security of the role? or So I know some people who have businesses and one of them's very strategic in calculating how much they'll pay for adverts and what the outcome of that is and whether mm. they continue to pay. Do you do that kind of... Yes, I'm not analysis. very good at that. Mm -hmm. um, but now I've got the financial software on zero, mm -hmm. I can track outgoings and uh, cash flow much more easily and, and plan how much to spend on things. But because I've been doing this for five years properly, um, it's taken about five years to get everything set up. Mm. So the costs have gone down and down and down each year. And I think I, for the next three years, I will have to spend very little right. on tech, the room, which you can see is all set up, um, on learning, on courses. Mm -hmm. It's like I've finally got enough knowledge, skills and equipment to operate at a much more cost-effective level. So you thought, would, could that process have been faster, five years? It could have been if I'd had time, but I was bringing up children sure. as well. So this whole thing has been weaved around life, chores, responsibilities, kids, and a full-time husband working abroad some of the time. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been a lifestyle business that has also been profitable and enjoyable. That is an achievement. 
Well, I actually think that's the best achievement <clears throat> because when people talk about success in business, they nearly always define it in financial terms. Yeah. I just need to earn a certain amount of money. And to me, success is me being happy, the family being happy, mm -hmm. some people with talking problems not having talking problems anymore, some students learning how to do quality therapy and a whole load of teachers in Hampshire and learning support assistants and parents knowing what to do for the children they work with. That is how I would define success. But those aren't the parameters that society uses to measure business success. So if we look at business growth or efficiency, I'm probably an utter... <laughs> whatever the opposite of success is, abysmal failure, but um, that's not how I measure it. At what point did you develop the idea of what success would mean for you in, in the business life mm. conglomerate? <laughs> I guess that has changed over time because initially it was to do something that I enjoyed mm -hmm. and had control of mm -hmm. whilst bringing up children. Yeah. They don't need so much bringing up now yeah. so the more they've become independent the more work I've done and success has looked at different things so I guess it's more about how many how much change can I affect in the time I've got and that has grown and grown and grown so I feel more and more and more effective so for example I do much more professional supervision of other speech and language therapists now than one-to-one -one work with children. So I'm effectively uh, having a bigger impact yeah. at a higher level now. I think that's one of the reasons that I was interested to talk to you because I'm getting to a stage in my career that I think, maybe not in my career, just it's limited what you can do with one person mm. that you're treating at a time. But if you can educate, publish research, things that cascade down to affect more people, mm. that's potentially more productive. I don't know if productive is the word, but it feels more wider, effective. Yeah. yeah, a broader reach. Yeah. Mm. That's where I'm going. What failure or setback have you encountered that has turned out to be a silver lining? Oh my goodness. Um, it's much like COVID. I should have planned this one in advance. <laughs> um, I feel like I've had a lot of COVID silver linings. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. There have been so many COVID silver linings in the last few months. Mm. But you may have had some previously in the NHS to private transition. Um, I suppose I have gone down avenues of exploring things and put hours and hours and hours of time into them to realise that they're just not going to work. Mm -hmm. And then you know for sure something's not going to work, so you don't pursue it. I've done that a couple of times. And One, have you felt that that's wasted time or the benefit? I did at the time. Yes. And I was furious with myself. But then I realised that having to do that process 
of going down the wrong road and then stopping at a point where you just see that it's going nowhere is an important learning journey because now I start going down avenues and I think, oh, this is feeling a bit like that other avenue that I pursued even though it was getting narrower and dingier and, and now I sort of stop at an earlier point in the avenue, I think. What is it that you identify that means that that's going to be a fa failure? Because there's also that kind of idea that you should just keep persisting at things. Yeah. And I've been out of that in mm. <laughs> many avenues of my life. I think it's listening to my inner niggling doubt earlier than I would have done when I would pursue things relentlessly mm -hmm. uh, and not listen to my inner niggling doubt. How do you know if it's your doubt or fear? Uh, I don't know what it is, but it's really worth listening to because I, I have had one or two less successful appointments that I've had niggling doubts about, gut feel if you like, sure. but I now know that gut feel isn't it's just gut feel, feel. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, 30 years of nuanced... Uh, Pattern recognition. Yes, yes, mm. knowledge, skill observation mm. and it's to be listened to I think that's the biggest thing I've learned because the impact of getting it wrong when you run your own business is greater mm. than the impact of getting it wrong when you're within a big organization and you're shielded somewhat from the effects protected so has it made you more confident in your gut feel definitely so having to do that in business has a um, affected your confidence in that in other areas of your life I'm sure it has yes maybe I can make bold decisions earlier or change my mind about things that aren't a good idea sooner but I can't think of any examples but I'm sure it has um, what advice would you give to yourself say six years back Oh, don't rush. Oh. Don't try and do everything at once. <laughs> you don't need to take on new finance systems, learn about CRM systems, measure your outcomes, offer all sorts of therapy to all sorts of places. Just start small mm. at what you love the most and build up from there. Start with what it's... you love. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone now thinking about leaving the NHS? Mm. That's interesting because I'm working with a lot of speech and language therapists who have recently left the NHS and none of them are regretting it. But they are all having, they're reporting similar feelings of loneliness mm. and um, feeling overwhelmed, which are some of the feelings that I felt at the beginning. Um, so I think I would, it would depend on, on the career that they're in. Um, and I, I would, I, I think, think I would say you don't. You're not necessarily leaving forever. 
Mm. So lots of independent speech and language therapists have come out, gone back in, come out, done some locuming, and then they've taken other opportunities in the NHS later when things have felt right or felt better for them. Mm. So think of it as a, to, as a decision for now mm. that isn't necessarily irreversible. Okay, I shall. <laughs> so I think we probably need to wrap up. Okay. I have a few more questions, but first I want to acknowledge you and thank you for being in my crisis box for conversation, brilliant ideas, listening and an adequate alto for basic harmonies. <laughs> and also for your honesty and open-minded perspective in the views that you share. Um, so where can people find you on social media? At Talking Outcomes, or one word, on Twitter. Talk, at Talking Outcomes on Twitter. And we have a Facebook page, Talking Outcomes. Excellent. Um, what is your definition of well-being? Mm. Oh, I'd have to, I'd need some time to think about it, I guess. I guess it's feeling, feeling happy and feeling like you're going in the right direction and feeling connected in a healthy way to others in work and home, I guess for me, okay. that's where I'll be. Um, what is one book, blog, podcast that you've read or heard that has most impacted the way you see health and well-being? Actually, there was a brilliant article by Chris Evans in, uh, that he wrote in the new year and it was all about his well-being and I just dug it out again the other day and had a look at it and it's the most raw, honest read um, about how, about him hitting crisis point and coming out of it and what he done, what, how he came out of it. But that's just a one-off really for me mindfulness has been life-changing and I started using mindfulness techniques about three years ago I can't remember the exact book it was a little blue brilliant book that I sort of read from cover to cover and used and I use it daily I would say mindfulness techniques okay so the final question mm -hmm. This is, for, this is to mine your wisdom. Um, so if all you have done and created was removed from the internet and you're on your deathbed years from now mm. um, and you had three points of wisdom or truth to pass on, what would they be? Three nuggets. Oh, I, I literally wouldn't be able to think of them. You'd need to give me a day for that. <laughs> They might have to be uh, in the next episode. Because <laughs> I don't know, but I would like to answer that question at some point. So I can't think of them. It's too big. It's too big? Yeah, too big a question. No, I can't, I can't do that without some reflection. Too large, you need to reflect. <laughs> it's too big, yeah. Thank you for being our first interviewee. Thank you for listening to the What The Health podcast and our first interview with Jan Baselman. There are so many useful insights in this for me, particularly the importance of defining success for yourself. What did you take from it? 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening to it. If you're a healthcare professional, we can continue the discussion in our growing Facebook group. We look forward to meeting you there. Until next time, take care of yourself.